0: You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. All right, the kids are going downstairs to do church for themselves. They sing songs. They memorize scripture. They hear the word of God. It is going to be absolutely fantastic for them and for us as well. So um, this morning, I'm going to... this morning, uh, we're going to read from the word of God about Jesus and character. And again, he's going to be confronting the Pharisees about their character because he's been working hard on the Pharisees. All of chapter 12 has been Jesus and the Pharisees. And so we're going to dig a little deeper about that today. If we could uh, maybe just tweak my mic down just a a hair, just a little feedback on my end, but thank you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to dive into uh, character. Lord, this morning, uh, you are the greatest character. We long to follow after you and to be more like you. That's what the Christian walk is about. That we are so in love with you, we just want to spend more time with you and be consumed by who you are, so that we might begin to look and act and speak like you. This morning, Lord, would you would you reveal yourself to us each individually? that we might see your glory face to face this morning by the reading of your word and through the time and prayer and reflection and song. And, Lord, would you reveal to us also the areas in which our character do not match yours? And would you encourage us, saying that you've provided a way for us to become like you, to walk holy, to love you more and to love others? Would you encourage us, Lord, to be more like you this morning? We want to leave here changed by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, character is like this really broad topic. And so I was trying to figure out the best way to get us started this morning. I I went back to Goofus and Gallant from uh, Highlights Magazine for Kids. And I looked at those. Are you guys familiar with that at all? I'm getting blank stares. No, I got... Okay, so a few people. It's a cartoon, and it shows one guy, Goofus, who doesn't do things the right way, and then Gallant, who is always polite and does things the right way. But um, I just couldn't find anything that was great. So then I decided... Let's see what smart people down through history have said about character, because we can glean a lot from smart people down through history. And so here is Einstein, weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. That's not bad. Weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. So where your attitude is whiny and mopey and I don't want to and you can't make me, and our character kind of reflects that same attitude. Okay? That's, that's smart. I like Einstein. Abraham Lincoln, character is like a tree, and reputation is like a shadow. The shadow is what we think of it, but the tree is the real thing. And that got me thinking a little bit, too. Then there's this. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only an experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. That's Helen Keller. Now, she had some Uh, depth of life that she was speaking out of this morning. Let's see what the next one is. Billy Graham. The greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other materials that has accumulated through life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. The greatest legacy you can pass on is that of character and faith. Now, I also studied Aristotle this week. And Aristotle identifies four different types of character in the spectrum of humanity. Um, They can be seen in the course of human life. And this type of character that he identifies are found between the tension of knowing and doing. So character is demonstrated, Aristotle says, between the tension of knowing and doing. And what does scripture say? Scripture says we should not just be hearers of the word but doers of the word. So it's not just enough that we know what we should do, we should also be doing what we know we should do. Okay? So here's what Aristotle has identified. Vicious character. They know what is good, but they choose to do otherwise, and they do so with no remorse. Vicious character. They know what they should do, and they choose the exact opposite, and they don't care about the consequences. Vicious character. Incontinent character. They know the good, and they choose to do it, but they fail to follow through. Something might catch their attention halfway through doing what they should be doing. They get distracted, and they move on to something else. Incontinent character. They know the good. They choose the good, but they don't complete the good. Continent character. They know the good, but they do it only out of duty or because of the demands placed on them. And then there's virtuous character. They know the good, do the good for the sake of the good itself. They don't do the good act based on a reward or punishment, but in spite of them. It doesn't matter what the reward might be or not be. It doesn't matter what the punishment might be or not be. They are simply doing the good because they know it's the good that needs to be done. Those are the four types of character that Aristotle has identified. Now, this last type of character, we might call it Christ-like character. A person who knows the good, God's great love, and demonstrates it freely to all in word and deed, simply out of the joy of having received it. They might endure persecution for it, but that doesn't matter because the good is greater than the persecution. A life lived in service and honesty and humility and boldness and passion and joy And it's the type of character that is born only of a relationship with God. It's cultivated only by a relationship with God. And it's fueled only by a relationship with God. It is through God that we can live the virtuous life, the holy life, the Christ-like life. And Jesus is going to talk to the Pharisees about this, but I have one quote for you first. Mark Twain, a man's character may be learned by the adjectives which he habitually uses in conversation. I thought that that was interesting. Um, He didn't think that up on his own, though. That's not a new thought. As we're going to read in Scripture right now, we're going to see that Jesus said that to the Pharisees this morning. Um, He says it in uh, a little more verbiage and a little more directly. Mark Twain put a little humor on it. But Jesus says something very similar, and Mark Twain took it from Jesus. Here's the image we'll look at while we read this scripture. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Continuing forward just a few verses, it says this. The Pharisees and the scribes answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So here we have Jesus talking to the Pharisees about character. Is he being nice to them? (laughs) How many of you feel comfortable when someone walks up to you and says, you brood of vipers? These are some really strong words. Again, Jesus, as he talks with the Pharisees, is using incredibly strong language Because he wants them to be confronted with the fact that they are not who they are trying to be. Good character and bad character, Jesus says. Good character produces fruit in the kingdom. Because it's connected to the life-giving source, God's Holy Spirit. Bad character does not produce fruit. And it actively works against the kingdom. Remember, we read last week Jesus' previous statement, you are either with me or you are against me. So you are either continually being cultivated as good character in Christ, or you are not, which means you are working against Christ. Jesus wants the Pharisees to know, you're working against me. You say you're with me, but you're working against me. You cannot speak good and not be connected to God. You don't accidentally have a virtuous life. Stephen did not accidentally say forgive them while he was being stoned. You don't be crushed to death by rocks and accidentally say virtuous and godly holy words. It's an attitude that you build with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life day in and day out. Jesus says there are two types of human character, good and bad. And the Pharisees must have known this Because they didn't want to be bad character, so they were trying to make themselves look good and holy by accusing Jesus of being unholy. It's a tactic that is used still today. Have you ever known someone who had to knock another person down verbally or otherwise so that they could feel or look better about themselves? Maybe in a workplace, someone continually demeans your work so that before the boss, they look better than you do. Kids do it all the time on the playground. I saw this in, we went to a birthday party for Addie's kids, friends last week. I saw this bantering of, I'm, I am better because they have done this. Therefore, I deserve more candy. Okay? This is part of the human flesh that we struggle against. Putting someone else down so that we look better in comparison. But if we are sinful, it, we're, we can't make our sin not sin simply by comparing someone else's sin to it. The Pharisees are missing the idea here. In fact, we might call the Pharisees bullies today, continually making someone else look bad so that they might look better by comparison. Jesus says there are two types of human character and one day of judgment. And the words that you speak will justify you or condemn you on that day. Scripture says if you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart, then you will be saved. Those are the words that will justify you on the day of judgment. But like we read the other week, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit all the days of your life, the day that you die, that is the sin that will not be forgiven. If you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, He died on the cross and rose again, those words justify you before God the Father. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. The words you speak will either justify you or condemn you but they will also, like Mark Twain so eloquently pointed out, reveal your character. The Pharisees claimed they loved God, but the words that came out of their mouth ridiculed other people, demeaned other people, caused fear in other people's lives, caused division in other people's lives. What came out of them showed what was in them. If you, um, if you have a water bottle with pure clean water in it and you squeeze it, what comes out? Yeah, that's not a trick question, okay? so <laughs> If you have a water bottle with pure clean water in it and you squeeze it, what comes out? Right, water. Okay, so if you have a water bottle filled with sewer water and you squeeze it, what comes out? Right. What comes out of the water bottle can only be what was in the water bottle. Likewise with our lives. What comes out of us when we are squeezed in life's trials and adversities and the day ins and day outs is what is in us. So brief moment of reflection. What comes out of you when you're squeezed? That's a tough question. And if we're honest with ourselves, we might go, ooh, maybe I need to walk a little closer with God. Maybe I need to ask God to kind of, wash me clean of that sewer water a little bit. The Pharisees, being super astute, really smart, they opened their mouth right after Jesus said this, your words will either condemn you or justify you. And then they said, oh yeah, we're we're smarter than Jesus. So Jesus, give us a sign. And I bet Jesus was just going, oh man, they don't get it. What comes out of the mouth shows what's in the heart, and they are already saying with their mouth that their heart doesn't believe that I'm the Messiah, because they're asking for a sign. It's not enough that I have healed people. It's not enough that I've proven I can forgive sins. It's not enough that I have done all these great miracles. They want a greater sign than that, that I am the Messiah. Trying to remain in authority and control the situation, the Pharisees asked for a sign of his lordship. One wonder, though, one has to wonder, what sign would be great enough for the Pharisees? What sign would have been great enough for them in that moment that Jesus (laughs) could have pulled out of his back pocket and said, there, are you happy? Because Jesus has been doing all of the signs. So then he answers them. Verses 39 through 42, he says this, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. See, there's no special deals between humanity and mankind except that which God made through Jesus Christ. You are waiting for a sign, Jesus says. This is it. My name is Jesus, and I am it. I am the one you have been waiting for. Look no further. People crave a sign that will make them feel better about their lives the way they are currently living them. We want a sign that says, It's okay the way you're living. The sin that you have embraced is okay. You've got to deal with God. People want a sign that will confirm their sin or their adultery or their idolatry and tell them that it's permissible because of a special exception. Or, if you're like the Pharisees, because at least yours isn't as bad as... And Jesus says this, You either look upon me with faith or you don't, but there is no other way to be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus. So he goes on to say, listen, let's go into your history. Nineveh, ye olden time city of sin, when they heard of the grace and mercy in Jonah's story. Remember, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because they were dirty, dirty sinners. So he ran away. God swallowed him up with a whale. That was grace and mercy because God could have just killed him. Grace and mercy that he sat in the belly of the whale for three days. He repented of his sin. The whale puked him up, or however that happened, we don't know. On to dry land. Guess where? Nineveh. So then he goes to Nineveh, and he says, you'll never guess what happened. I stink like a dead fish because God loves me, and he gave me mercy and grace. He can do the same for you. And the whole city repented, fell on their knees, and said, we love this God. So... Jesus says, listen, Nineveh, a Gentile city who didn't know about Jesus, only knew about a stinky fish man and his stinky fish man God, repented and they are going to rise up on the day of judgment and point a finger at the Pharisees and all of the people that believe the Pharisees and their law keeping and non-grace giving and say, what's up with you? You were face to face with the living God, Jesus. Likewise, he said this, the queen of the south, remember she was the lady who came to Solomon with all of the spices and the riches and the camels and the jewels. And she listened to Solomon, and she went away from hearing Solomon speak, and she said, I have never heard in my entire life Wisdom like this man speaks. I've never seen it before. I've never heard it before. There's nothing in all of the world that compares to this wisdom. And Jesus says, listen. Even though she had not met the living God. Who is the father of all wisdom and knowledge. She heard the wisdom that was given to Solomon. And realized that comes from somewhere greater. There is nothing like this. Jesus is the greatest sign that has ever been given for anyone. And there is no greater sign. No greater sign. Jesus, in the belly of the whale, right? Proverbially speaking, he's saying. He died on the cross for our sin. Took the penalty. Sat in death's grave for three days rose again like Jonah came out of the whale so he could come to preach to an adulterous, sinful, prideful generation that did need a sign that there was something. And that sign was Jesus. It's the second time Jesus has compared Israel, specifically its leaders, with other nations in history, stating that the Gentiles, those dirty Gentiles down through history that you Pharisees don't like, they get it. They love God. They're following God. They're receiving what I'm giving them. And you are not. They saw only a shadow of what was to come. And yet even they only saw a shadow of what was to come, they grabbed a hold of it and they said, we want that and more. Jesus said, if they were here, Pharisees, they would smack you on the back of the head. And then they would point a finger at you. And say, you don't just see a shadow of what's coming, you see what has come. And yet you mock him, and ignore him, and lead other people away from him. Your character is not good, Jesus says. So then he continues. Remember a few weeks ago we read about the demon-possessed man that Jesus healed? Kind of started this whole epic between Jesus and the Pharisees, because Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, And the Pharisees say, you can't do that. And then they stalked him from town to town, continually nitpicking at everything he did. Now Jesus is going to point back to that. He says in verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless place seeking rest, and it doesn't find any. So then it says, I'm going to go back to where I came from, and if it's empty when I get back there... um, I'm going to bring seven other spirits with me, more evil than myself. And then they're going to enter, and they're going to dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And so also it will be with this evil generation. I imagine he's making eye contact with the Pharisees. So also it will be with this evil generation. I get, I get that's what is really trying hard here to tell them you're not getting it. Jesus uses that demon-possessed man as an example. He wants people to know that just because you are liberated from something, it's not enough. You have to fill that void with something else. Ownership by the devil must be replaced by ownership with Christ. I imagine the demon-possessed man was right there. And this was a great teaching point orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Demon comes out of man, man is sitting there, doesn't really love Jesus yet, doesn't have a demon yet, back again, okay? And Jesus says, see this man? He's got to be filled with something. Now, he can go the way he went, but it's probably going to go worse for him because he'll go back to the way that things were and it will be worse. Or he can receive the sign that's right in front of him. And he can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he can walk in newness of life, in which case that old life has passed away completely. And the things that have encumbered him are no more. Otherwise, the release is only temporary, Jesus says. And we might say it like this. Moral reform without Christian commitment is inadequate. Behavior modification is not character transformation. I don't care what the world will tell you. Modifying your behavior does not make you a better Christian. It changes the outside of you, but doesn't change the inside of you. I can do and say all of the right things all day long, but when I get squeezed in a trial, what's going to come out? It's what's on the inside, right? Jesus is talking about behavior modification here. He's looking at the Pharisees and saying, you look really good on the outside. You're modifying your behavior really well. You put on that shiny mask when you're in public. But on the inside, you're rotting away. One can make changes that appear good on the outside. They're temporary. They're outward. They're not inward. And they're often done to avoid punishment or to gain reward. That sounds like one of those lesser types of character that Aristotle talked about. See, the Pharisees were people that had learned to modify their behavior by a checklist of rules so that they might look good at the right times and in front of the right people. And behavior modification is called works-based faith. Behavior modification is works-based faith. I can do enough to look good. I am good enough myself. I can change myself and better myself. And for a time, if you take ripe fruit on a fruit tree, it will look like a good fruit tree. But that fruit will rot in a couple days because it's not connected to the life-giving source of good character and fruit. Jesus says there is more to life, to good character, than what is on the outside. Just because you're not acting evil doesn't mean your heart isn't evil. Later, Jesus is going to get so fed up with the Pharisees that he's actually going to call them rotting tombs, whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, beautiful marble, beautiful sculptures, picture the most beautiful tomb thing that you can see. And they look great on the outside, but on the inside, Jesus says, they stink like the stink of dead flesh. Um, I went to Lunch Creek Falls this week. I got to tell you. I got an ironclad stomach. I almost didn't make it. It was really bad. The smell of rotting dead fish in the sun. And there are quantities of dead fish there. It's not just like six dead fish. It's like all the dead fish go there to die. And then I read this passage and I realized Jesus says that our behavior modification and our works-based faith smells like that to him. he doesn't want that he doesn't want that because it smells bad and he doesn't want that because he wants so much more for us than that Jesus wants the, the, the Pharisees to realize that the way they live their life and the way they're leading others is in works based behavior modification to follow the rules but not to have a relationship with Jesus so that begs the question how do then we have this good character that Jesus says we should have? If we can't do it ourselves, and we try and our trying, it smells like dead rotting fish to Jesus, then how are we supposed to do this? Has he set up a system by which he expects something of us that we can't do? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> no, we can't do it on our own. We cannot be good enough. We cannot live a holy life on our own. We need relationship with Jesus to do it. Here's what he says, ending this chapter. The end of chapter 12. While he was speaking to the Pharisees and to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside and they asked to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And he stretched his hand out to his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Character can be modified on the outside under our own power. Or character can be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's a caterpillar. It's a great caterpillar. But it's only a caterpillar. What does a caterpillar become? Right. To quote Hans from It's a Bug's Life, I'm a pretty little butterfly. Okay? That does not happen easily. A caterpillar cannot sit on a branch and go, I want to be a butterfly right now. Right now. Where are my wings? Character transformation in Christ is a process. And it happens through change at a deepest level. I don't fully get how that happens, except that it wraps itself in a chrysalis and something happens that that becomes that. It's not even like it grows a pair of wings. It's like it becomes a completely new creature. It's no longer green, it's orange. It's no longer fat and chubby, skinny with these beautiful wings that have powder on it, little antennas that are just cute, okay? It's a completely different creature from the inside out. Character transformation in Christ is like that. The Pharisees modified their lives, but Jesus will transform your life. You will no longer be an unhealthy tree or evil in character, or sewer water in your water bottle. God takes that, okay? He takes the evil character that you are before you know him, all of the sins and all of the things that you say and do, and he takes the bad habits that you have, and he takes the works-based faith in which, in good intention but not right action, you have done to try and fix yourself. And he takes all of that, okay, and he bundles it up into... Him, and he breathes the Holy Spirit upon it, and then that happens, and you become a new creature in Christ. I just God does something at the deepest level in you, and you are no longer what you were. You become, in relationship with Christ, family to him, family at the deepest level possible, not just the crazy nephew or cousin that gets to come to the family reunion, but nobody talks to because they have weird thoughts about things that don't match with normal society. We're laughing because we have family experience like this. Okay? There's one in every family, okay? But that's not what it's like in God's family. When you become part of God's family, you're not the weird cousin. You're the one that Jesus walks up to and goes, hey, how's it going? I love you. Let's spend some time together. And he says that to you every day. He wants to spend more time with you every day. See, you were strangers to Christ because of your sin. But in relationship with Christ, all of what you were becomes something so much more than it ever could be if you tried to do it on your own. The family relationship with Christ transforms you from the inside out, and it's something that God does in you and through you, not that you do on your own. And in transformation, as you begin to know Christ and love Christ and walk with Christ and become a pretty little butterfly, if you will, you begin to see what Christ calls good and right and loving and holy, and you begin to go, I want that. I really want that. I want what is good and right and holy more than I want what I had before. The things that I had a taste for, like a butterfly or like a, like a caterpillar eats leaves, their appetite changes when they become a butterfly. They don't eat the same things because they're changed from the inside out. God says the things that you had appetites for before... They're going to change, and you're going to slowly begin, as you spend time with me, to have new hungers, new desires, new passions that are good and right. And you'll begin to live in such a way that you'll want to do those things simply because they're good and right, regardless of what would happen around you. The beauty of this situation is that you live the virtuous life, according to Aristotle. You love him, you see the good, you do the good, you serve humbly, you pray, you're walking with God, you love him, you're becoming that beautiful butterfly. And you're not doing it for a reward, you're doing it because of the great grace God has given you in Christ Jesus. But the picture of that is that in loving Christ and receiving the grace, you have earned this great reward. Just simply because you are God's child and he looks on you with favor. And in doing so also, there is no longer the punishment that hangs over your head. Christ has taken that as well. He says, I'll take that punishment. You become a beautiful butterfly for me. Here's the great reward of life eternal. And not just life eternal, but the fact that you get to live that holy life and live as part of the kingdom of God and an heir of Christ and a family member to Jesus now. He doesn't say, you're a pretty little butterfly one day when you die. You get to be a pretty little butterfly now, and every single day you get to grow in beauty in Christ every single day. Christians are being transformed by Christ each and every day, and the transformation of the heart is instant in salvation and a process through a lifetime. In our denomination, we call this holiness living. We say you can live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. He enables you to do that when you go from that to that. He enables you each and every day to live like that. And the more time you spend with Christ, the more your tree takes root in him, and the more good fruit you produce because what's in you produces fruit because what's in you is Christ. 2 Corinthians, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Anyone. Doesn't matter what you've been, where you've done, what you've said, anything. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. And Romans says, You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got weird thought patterns. You think swear words in your head. You don't like certain people and can't love them. Christ renews those things in your mind and your heart. So here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees Stop living by rules. Start living by relationship with me. I'm right here in front of you. Try it with me right now. I promise it's going to be good. Stop leading people to do otherwise. You're going to be called to account for your words and your actions one day. There's only two types of people, those who are with me and those who are against me. Be with me. I want you to be with me. I want you to be family. And I'm going to keep beating you across the head lovingly, but firmly, Jesus says, until you get it. Because he wants them to get it. He wants us to get it. We are sometimes like the Pharisees. We sometimes believe works-based faith works. We sometimes lead other people to believe that. Parents, I want you to think critically for a moment about how you parent your children. Are you parenting behavior modification? Or are you parenting character transformation through Christ? Each and every opportunity that you have with your kids is an opportunity to say, You did wrong, now do right. So that they learn to do the action to avoid the trouble. Or they've done something wrong, whatever it is. You sit down with them and you say, This is obviously wrong. Let's talk about that. There's going to have to be some consequences. But do you know that God can help you avoid this circumstance in the future? And you get an opportunity to speak grace and Christ's transformative power into the lives of the littlest minds and hearts so that they don't grow up in church but not in Christ, which is a big difference. How many teenagers leave the church and never come back? So many. Because more often than not, we are raising behavior-modified Christians, not transformed by Christ, Christ Christ-followers. And it starts with the youngest minds and hearts. Hope for us, older minds and hearts, God still works on us too. So here's some things to think about this morning. That's a weird color. Are you modifying your behavior or are you being transformed in Christ? Are you allowing the authority of the word of God to transform you day in and day out? What does your current character, not what you think you are, not what you hope you are, What is your current character teaching your children or your oikos about life in Christ? What you say and what you do teaches people about the Jesus that you love. And what we learned about blasphemy is that when you teach people about Jesus and not correctly, that's blasphemy. Is your character blasphemous in some areas? And where do you need Christ to transform your character? And the answer would be all of it. But maybe there's a particular area in which Christ would say, let's start here. It might be the least painful because you need to trust me more through the process. It might be the most painful because it's the one that's prohibiting you from serving God. These are some good reflection questions for the week. Why don't we go ahead and pray? We'll ask God to work on us this coming week. We'll sing some songs. worship him during those songs and ask him to work on us as well as we sing. Lord, we recognize that you are really good and that you came to earth so that you could help us out. You looked down from heaven and, and you were sad because of sin, because it broke your heart and relationship between us and you. You wanted so much more for us than brokenness, and so you entered into humanity. You lived and served humbly. You encouraged the people that you met. And yet because of your humble service and your solid character, you were crucified by people who just didn't understand. And yet, while you were crucified, while you were being squeezed and poured out, goodness and holiness came out of you and you said, Father, forgive them. You just don't know what they're doing. And you rose again from the dead after three days and you're seated at the right hand of the Father now. And you look down at us in our sin, and you go, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let me work with them. Let me give them opportunities. Let me minister to them that they might become family. And then we become family, and you say, oh, man, I love you, my children. But there's so much more for you than just believing in me. There is a life abundant that can be lived in me in which you can taste the kingdom of God now in your life. Work with me, Jesus says, because I will work with you. Lord, this morning we've heard your word. We want to submit to it this morning. We recognize its authority in our life. We recognize your authority, and we say, would you search us, God? Would you know us from the inside out? Would you point out the areas in which we need to work with you a little more? Would you chip away this works-based faith that we live in? Would you help us parent our kids in a way that is transformative, not modifying? And would you parent us in the same way? Commit our lives to you, Father. We love you so much for what you've done for us, what you're doing in us, and what we know you continue to do through Christ Jesus.